Welcome to the Coffee, Cameras, and Content Podcast. Podcast dedicated towards everything cameras, technology, content creation, the influencer economy, and so much more. Today we're going to be talking about the Apple Watch ban and everything Apple in this episode. So if you're not fully aware of the Apple Watch ban, pretty much Apple did some dirtbag stuff. They interviewed this company called Massimo a while back, and Massimo does wearable health tech. After meeting with them, they immediately said, hey, we want to partner with you. And Massimo was like, hey, we look forward to it. We want to partner with you too. And Apple immediately went to work scalping any employees they possibly could, shooting out emails, interviewing people, and eventually brought on a couple employees from Massimo. But more specifically, they brought on someone with the understanding of the technologies that they're using and the patent to go along with it. So Apple immediately filed a patent under this ex-employee's name and then started to pump it out into the Apple Watch series. I believe it's in the series eight and nine. Currently, there is a trade ban on the Apple Series 9 and the Ultra 2, because these are the two most recent and the two being sold brand new with the technology in it. The way Apple went about doing this is obviously not good, but even more importantly, when they got this employee over, they said that we're going to triple your salary and then we're going to give you millions in Apple stocks. And to the average person, that's that's life-changing money. And when you think about it, right, you have a life, you have a wife, you have children, all of a sudden, the way you're going to pay for your kid's kids college tuition is going to completely change and uh, become a little bit more relaxed and you guys can probably pay off you know one of the vehicles if not both of the vehicles and start to kick back use that payment towards accruing interest and various other things for retirement or you can cash out all your chips in the apple stocks and take that money and live off the interest for the rest of your life it's pretty much an offer you can't refuse when given and it's very clear why this person did it. Very wrong of Apple to put that person in that position by offering it. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Really wished I was like the end of like what Apple is doing wrong in the end of story. But recently, Apple released the M3 series chips, specifically with the MacBooks, right? We have the MacBook Air, the MacBook Pro, and the MacBook Max. Um, we have yet to see the M3 Ultra chip come out, which is obviously going to be put into the studio. But what they did with the MacBook Pro this year, they limited the amount of bandwidth for the memory, and then they knocked down two of the logical cores to two of the eco cores. Why would you do that after you have already set a precedence and then you backstep it? It's very clear that they're nerfing it because a lot of people didn't need the Max for the computational power. They needed the Pro, and the Pro suited the job for 80% of the use cases for the general public. So they did this specifically to force you into a higher rung on buying a higher-end MacBook when if they just kept the pro the same as far as specs wise it, the performance is almost equal to what the m2 pro is if not a little bit better obviously because it's the new series but imagine if we had those two logical cores on top of that bigger bandwidth for memory to travel it would have absolutely smoked it in performance and 
we're kind of having that taken away from us because Apple doesn't want to give it to us and wants to put a bigger step between the Pro and the Max. So that way, even if you just need a little bit of a nudge beyond that, you're going to have to buy into a far higher ecosystem because the bare minimum on these Macs is not good enough. So you're going to have to pay for the memory and then you're going to have to pay for the storage. And the thing about Apple is they charge absolutely massive amounts of money towards that. It is absolutely a douchebag way to run your company, but they do it and people pay for it. And that's because Apple has a monopoly on an absolutely amazing ecosystem. It's kind of like back when Windows made their operating system, right? We had these DOS commands and they were like, how do we make this more user-friendly for people to use? Some guy was like, all right, well, I'm going to make some graphics and make a user interface so that way the general public will be able to use it. That's all they thought about it, right? And if we were to take people by today's standards and take them back to the days of 95, 98 and Windows XP, someone would sit down and look at it. That person would be like, man, I bet a fucking Android user made this shit. And they wouldn't be wrong because that's what it feels like. It feels like a very open-ended system that's not, it's not the best. And it's definitely not as fluid as Apple feels. And that's the monopoly I'm talking about is Windows really could step their game up and make a more fluid OS, but they don't do it. The user experience is still kind of finicky. And I think that's because of Apple's approach towards making an operating system. They saw what Windows did, and then they were like, I don't think you took it far enough. We need to really expand this user interface and treat the people that are using it as if they are complete idiots. And I like that, personally. I personally like that. It's very user-friendly. It's very fluid. It looks good when I'm doing stuff. That makes me happy. I feel excited to interact with my phone or my OS on anything Mac related. But Mac's business model is absolutely terrible. And they have fully nerfed the M3 MacBook Pro because the M2 Pro was too good in comparison to the M2 Max. Is it ethical? Absolutely not. Can you argue that it's good for business? Yes. Is it the right thing to do? No. Does Apple know that? Yeah. Apple continually does these things. And, you know, yet again, if another ecosystem came into play where if my Android phone had earbuds that linked up similar to how my AirPods link up to my iPhone, if the Galaxy Watch was similar to the Apple Watch, and if all that linked together with my PC in a very seamless and easily integrated thing without me having to like close and reopen programs and then restart my computer in order for everything to talk together again, I'd be all in on Windows. I'd still be like, yeah, Windows number one, but that's not the case. And the fact is that Mac absolutely kills it when it comes to ecosystem. And it's the only reason uh, I, I still buy into Apple. Uh, however, you can see that there's a ton of things that are not great about it. And this all comes after the unveiling of the iPhone 15 Pro. The iPhone 15 Pro has Apple Log with ProRes on the new phone. And I personally think it's a cool concept. It's going to be used for niche shots, but nothing beyond that. And I think the average consumer does not really need ProRes RAW or ProRes in general. 
The file sizes on these things are absolutely massive. And yes, you can argue like, oh, you don't need more than a cell phone to do the majority of filming for content creation. Yeah, no. When I film with my A7S III or my A7 IV, I have the option to use long GOP recording without massive oversharpening because I shoot in a log and then I can color grade after and there's more than enough information to bring it back without those giant massive file sizes that you get with ProRes. That's just a fact. The fact of the matter is, is it's cool. It can be integrated into professional workflows, but I'm not going to buy a hand grip an ND filter mount to put onto my cell phone and then rig it out with a SSD and use it as a professional rig. If I'm using ProRes, I want to make sure that I'm getting the shot. I want the most amount of light coming into my sensor, which is why I'm going to either use an APS-C or I'm going to use a full frame sensor. The image quality in studio lighting or in low light is completely unmatched when it comes to full frame. There's a lot of cool technological advancements. You can always argue like, oh, do you need more than this? And it's like, yeah, you kind of do. For extreme low light situations, the A7S III and FX3 and the ZVE-1 still absolutely smash all iPhone expectations. Furthermore, the dynamic range is better. And you can say and argue that the end user is not going to notice, but I think that the end users that are younger are noticing more and more what is cell phone, even when it's ProRes, and what is shot on an actual camera. They're now leaning towards having higher quality content because the general populace, when it comes to news outlets and various other things, were doing very low quality stuff. Now they want that higher end content. They're maturing as a generation. We now have the Gen Alpha, which is now coming after the Gen Z. And uh, God help us. But even more so with this iPhone, a lot of third-party apps have to be utilized. And even though Apple filmed their event on like an iPhone 15 Pro Max, they were still using like $11 million worth of other equipment. They were using a third-party app, specifically the Blackmagic DaVinci phone app to do the recording in. And then I believe they were either editing in Premiere Pro or DaVinci Resolve. So Apple's like definitely making moves and it's cool, but I think it's, I think ProRes on an iPhone for professional workflows is going to be super niched down for very specific shots, similar to like how GoPros are used. Um, but now you have an iPhone 15 Pro that has ProRes raw on it, so yay. But beyond that, I mean... I work at a studio here in Baltimore, you know, yet again, part-time gig currently, and then I freelance. And I can tell you that I have not once looked at the iPhone 15 Pro and said, this is going to replace my camera kit. I am going to show up to client shoots with nothing but my iPhone 15. It thought has not crossed my mind at all. And yet again, that's because of the larger sensor size, all the perks that come with a dedicated camera being a dedicated crank camera, an interchangeable lens system, because those sensors on the other cameras, the ultra wide and the portrait focal length are smaller than the main wide angle camera. So for hobbyists, I think it's great, though massive file sizes, not sure who's going to want to deal with that. And I think for very specific shots 
it's awesome. I mean, you can take a suction cup rig, you can attach it to your car, you can put on your iPhone 15 Pro, uh, attach that SSD, hit ProRes, and then rig out your iPhone 15 a little bit. And then, of course, if you have insurance on your camera, or excuse me, on your phone, if it drops off the car, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, it sucks, but you know, back up your phone, obviously, before doing it and then do the insurance claim. Because I'd trust that far more than putting my A7S III outside on a car. Don't want to lose that. So that's cool. But I mean, you can also do that with the DJI Pocket 3 and various other action cameras. It's just you have the iPhone 15 Pro. It's always on you. That's cool. To me, um, every time Apple releases something along these lines when it's like a giant camera upgrade which none of these are really giant camera upgrades they're all software oriented and that's cool to me it's more like apple is walking around with a chip on their shoulder because we all say the iphone is not a professional camera and they're trying to say like oh well it can be under specific use cases and i think it all started with the iphone 10 and then obviously the trailers for the iPhone 13 and the 13 Pro and the Pro Max. And, you know, they paid directors to use their phone on a set. They're like, hey, film a movie with this. They like gave a budget for a whole movie set that, you know, on movies that never really came out, but to like show and utilize how this can be used professionally. And it's like Apple's dragging people to the water and beating them with a stick until they drink because no one's really like, drinking the Kool-Aid, right? We're not really buying into the fact that an iPhone 15 or an iPhone in general is really going to replace a professional camera workflow. I mean, the A7S III is great. The FX3 is great, but Ari Alexas still exist. Red Komodo still exist. MKHB still uses a Red Komodo when he films some of his B-roll, which we've all seen the clip for, right? That man's doing it either like he's future-proofing or... Like he truly buys in and believes in this product. And he has mentioned that like, you know, the iPhone 15 Pro definitely has like the best phone video. And that's that's great. However, I don't think that he's going to switch to a point where that's his primary shooter. I guess we will we'll see. But for me, because of this chip on Apple's shoulder, it has drastically reduced the barrier to entry to the world of video, which has then degraded the value of actually trained professionals. When someone says that they're a director of photography, it means less because people with an A7S III or, you know, an EOS R or an R6 II, they call themselves directors of photography. They're not, they're videographers, right? So much goes into being a director of photography and a lot of experience is required to get there. And you have so many YouTubers out there nowadays that are calling themselves directors of photography or various other names like cinematographer, right? And I can tell you that reducing the barrier to entry is not democratizing something more so as it degrades the quality and oversaturates the field. And I think the best example of this would be just recently all the lawsuits with the real estate industry, right? The barrier to entry, for those of you that don't know, I was a real estate agent, then I turned full-time video work. I, I am a videographer. 
Um, I do work at the studio currently as a production assistant, um, camera operator, you know, in training to be a director of photography. That's down the line right now. It's really like camera op, production assistant and whatever I can really do to pitch in. But with that being said, right, like on those Hollywood productions, everything is still micromanaged and very specific within departments. But I digress. The whole thing with real estate is the barrier to entry is incredibly low and they never increase the standards to become a real estate agent. It's 60 hours of online courses or in-person courses. If you take the in-person courses, you're going to do hour for hour those 60 hours and get your credits by someone actually checking it off. If you go online, you can speed through all those sections and there's a bare minimum to meet the the minimum, which isn't the actual minimum. It's kind of weird how it's set up, but you can speed through that. Then you can take the mock test until you feel confident in taking the actual test. And then you quarry the system, which in my case, I did the CE shop, quarried the system, was able to take the test in front of a proctor through a webcam, passed the test, immediately signed up, took the national and state, passed on my first go around. Barrier to entry to real estate is so low that if you fail that test, I think you just have to wait seven days and then you can reattempt the test. And that's for state and national. And you can keep doing this until you pass. So it's not like you only have a set amount of times to try per year. Beyond that, you immediately get signed on to a brokerage and start from there. It is incredibly easy to enter the industry. There is a massive failure rate. And because there are so many people that are in the industry for two years, it takes away from the actual professionals that are within that field. I have seen teams that are absolutely amazing, and I have seen teams that are absolutely terrible. And the difference is, is the amount of dedication, work, and reinvestment within to the whole experience for the client. Everyone knows that buying a home is generally the largest purchase that someone makes. And when you just allow your average Joe Schmo to come in and there's no set precedence because we're all 1099 contractors and we just have to comply to certain things that we're not even really being checked on, you know, there's not audits going on constantly. There's not a lot of things. And for a period of time for the continued education, they didn't ask for the certificates for the continued education. It was like just checking a box that states, I hereby have completed my hours of continued education. So technically, you didn't even really have to do it. You just had to say you did it. And though you'd face fines, maybe penalties for lying, it wasn't really that big of a deal. And plenty of people have far sketchier business models than you would think. And that's what I mean by low barrier to entry isn't democratization so much as it's deterioration of an industry from the inside out. And I get it that we're on the cusp of something big with AI, but I digress. I think with Apple, a lot of it comes down to being very egocentric to say that they have this phone that is capable of doing professional things, but not mainly really about the creator, right? It doesn't come down to actually benefiting you so much as it feels like it's more for Apple to tout that they have professional qualities and features on their phone. I feel like it stems from just yet again, a very toxic mindset with Apple being the largest company out there. And they swing things around and they get things done. And 
the Apple Silicon is absolutely amazing, but when you take the M3 Pro and you nerf it compared to what it was with the M2 Pro and what it could be, it's not a good look. When you prey on another company and then hire their employees by making them an offer they, they can't refuse because it's too good to pass, who would pass that up? It's not right, but until someone comes out and challenges Apple with a comparable ecosystem, comparable silicon, doing everything that Apple does just as good, right? There's no reason to go away from them unless it's like something truly terrible, um, like saying we don't care about climate change and we're going to kick out even more pollution, right? They truly become like an evil company. Um, but the fact of the matter is it's not enough to make someone walk or step away from the Apple ecosystem. So as time progresses, hopefully someone steps up or Apple changes their ways. And uh, that's it for this coffee break.